So obviously, of course, because that's what keep, keeps happening with this episode, there is a small change of plan, not to this episode itself, but to what happens next week. I'm not actually having a holiday next week. After all, if you're listening right to the end of last week's show, you will have heard that I am going to catch up with our good friend Zoe Forsey on all things stateside. So looking forward to doing that. Hope to hear you then. Hear you then? See you then? I don't know what we say. Be joined by you then. But in the meantime, let's finally go on our tour around the nations. Pod save the king! So I'd like to welcome to Pod Save the King the Daily Record's political editor, Paul Hutchins. And the Daily Record is the Mirror's Scottish sister paper. Paul, really lovely to have you with us today. Hi there. Thanks for having me. So we're recording this a couple of days after Charles and Camilla were up in Scotland to receive the, the honours of the honours of Scotland, which sort of completes the various coronation elements. And he's fully in the job now. And it's a job that actually essentially, I guess, started in, in Scotland with, you know, it was, it's somewhere, it was quite fitting, really, that Balmoral was where the Queen passed away. And it was the tribute that Scotland was able to pay because of that was very special last September, really. Yes, um, as you say, the Queen passed away in Scotland. Uh, she was very fond of Balmoral. She loved spending her summer holidays there with her family. Um, I think she, she spent an increasing amount of time there in her latter years and I think most people in Scotland remember that the aftermath of her passing away um, the uh, her body being transported down to Edinburgh people paying their last respects and then uh, being taken down to London where we had the funeral so um, the, the, the late Queen uh, had an enormous affection for Scotland and I think that was reciprocated um, and uh, it was a very uh, emotional time uh, at the tail end of last year. And I think all of us you know, who've lived with the Queen for so long, we'd always wondered a little bit what it be, would be like when she did pass away and when it was Charles who became the King. What has reaction been like in Scotland to that sort of change of, um, change of monarch? I think that it's kind of passed without much thought really uh, people knew that the queen was going to pass away eventually and they knew that charles would um become the head of state and the new monarch that that was obvious for a long time and essentially the 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 handing on the baton as it were has been pretty seamless people know charles they know what his views are on things um it, it wasn't like a, a great shock that he took over and so I think there has been continuity there um, over the, the last uh, wee while. And uh, in that sense, there's been no surprises. Um, it's been a very sort of choreographed, um, organised uh, coronation. The, the, the celebrations this week, um, there have been a huge amount of planning in that as well. And so I just, I feel like people just have accepted that this is going to be happening. It's now happened and they're, they're getting on with it. Do you think there is um, a similar sort of affection and warmth for Charles as there was for the Queen? or what's, What do you feel is like the relationship or how Scotland sees Charles? Probably not. I mean, that's not to have a dig at the man. But if you look at support for the monarchy in Scotland, 
uh, and across the UK. I would say that that is largely down to the former queen rather than it is for the institution of a hereditary monarchy. Um, I think that there's a view that she distinguished herself um, in office, as you were, and people maybe found it hard to distinguish between the Queen and the institution. One was the other. And so Prince Charles always had a very difficult um, job in living up to that. I mean, his, his late mother was held in such high esteem that I think it was impossible for anyone really to maintain those levels of public popularity. That's not to say he's unpopular. I mean, I think that uh, he's been in the public eye for so many years. Um, uh, he himself is held in affection, but it's always going to be difficult to, 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 to live up to the standards of the Queen. And uh, I'm not saying that he's in her shadow, but I think that perhaps he's got a role to play in carving out his own vision of what a monarch should be. And in terms of the, we've seen the ceremonial bit this week, but is there a sort of an official formal bit? Does the royal family have a formal role within, like, a Scottish politics? So, you know, we've, we've seen Queen Charles, they go to the state opening of Parliament in Westminster and, and that are part of that sort of political scene and red boxes that the Queen was always very diligent about. Scotland has its own devolved government. Does the royal family or does the monarch have a have a role within that at all, or is that not? Yeah, so much? in terms of signing off acts of, of the Scottish Parliament, yes. And um, uh, you know, the Queen regularly, well, I say regularly, whenever the Parliament opened um, for a new session, she tended to be there. Um, uh, and Charles has been at the Parliament as well, so they have. Um, I, I wouldn't say strong supporters of devolution, but I think that, I suppose one of the strengths of the royal family, you know, the monarchy, is adapting to new realities. And when the Scottish Parliament came into being uh, following a referendum in 1997, um, I think that the, the fact that the Queen showed up at the the opening of the Parliament and was there uh, on a few occasions thereafter showed that uh, they, they recognised the the changing constitutional landscape. So I mean, there's no formal role in terms of them uh, opening parliament, but they, they choose to do it. And I think that is that is appreciated. So at the moment, the, uh, the Scottish government is led by the SNP, who are in favour of an independent Scotland. They want to break away. How does that fit with, so, you know, there is a majority well, there's enough people to put the SNP in, in government uh, yeah. in Scotland, but there wasn't, gosh, I've lost track of which year it was that the referendum was. It was a relatively, so a relatively narrow vote there to sort of stay with the union, probably more stressful than some people might have uh, wanted, those who, who back the union. But um, how how do the SNP see the royal family? Like if they if they did achieve their ultimate goal of getting independence for Scotland, what would that mean from a royal point of view? Well, the SNP have always um, decoupled the issue of in, independence from uh, the monarchy. So uh, if you take Alex Salmond, the former first minister, he was always uh, very careful to say that he wanted the monarchy to persist in independent Scotland. He realised the Queen was popular, and I think to have a dig at the Queen when she was alive would have been electoral poison. Nicola Sturgeon, I don't think, 
you could describe her as a natural monarchist, but she never said she was a Republican. So she always danced around the issue as well. Never once said that in an independent Scotland there would be a republic. Um, the new First Minister, Hamza Youssef, he is an out-and-out Republican. I think he's probably the first modern-day SNP leader to say that he supports a, an elected head of state. That said, he hasn't gone one step further and said that in an independent Scotland um, there will be a republic. I don't think he's even committed himself to a referendum on a monarchy if Scotland was to become independent. So people in the SNP have always realised that um, the monarchy has uh, support in Scotland. It's probably not a vote winner for them to be seen to try to dismantle the institution. Uh, and I, I suspect that if Scotland did become independent, um, the, the question of the head of state would become an issue at some point, not in the short to medium term, maybe the longer term. But um, uh, I, I, I don't think it would be a, a first rank issue for any politician. Great. Well, thank you very much for giving us a bit of a picture of um, Scotland and politics and the royal family. And um, maybe speak to you again on a future episode as, as things evolve. So thanks ever so much for joining us today, Paul. Thank you. Cheers. So I'm delighted to welcome to Pod Save the King, Stefan Rees, um, my colleague in Wales, editor of Wales Online. Lovely to have you with us today, Steph. Thank you. Thank you very much for asking me and having me. So, yeah, I've asked you on, obviously, to provide the Welsh perspective as we are now on the royal family, now that it's, you know, King Charles, who is in charge of the firm. And I guess it makes sense to start with looking back on how the sort of that transition went when the, you know, when the day came, when the Queen passed away, Charles became king, the man who had been your Prince of Wales for a very long time and, uh, you know, has a bridge that joins uh Wales and England together was now the king. How how did that feel from a Welsh perspective? Yeah, I'm glad we're going back to that actually because it's all died down so much that it feels like no one's really spoken about it in Wales for quite a long time. But it was really vocal going back to that time, and there was quite a lot of argument about it and a lot of debate. Um, the debate there was not so. The debate was not so much about about Charles personally. The debate was about the existence of the monarchy, um, how the monarchy fits into a modern Wales. Does it fit into a modern Wales? And then, of course, the Prince of Wales element that that was more. Yes, it had been Charles for for so long, but then it was it was William that that debate surrounded because he was to become the Prince of Wales, um, which opened up um, you know a, another a line of debate which a lot of people felt really strongly about. It feels like maybe, so my conversation with Paul at the Daily Record, it feels like for the Scottish independence movement, the royal family, they've kind of left it out of scope. We can be independent, we can be Scotland, the royal family is a separate thing, we might, quite, we might be quite happy to keep them. For Wales, to me, it feels a bit more like actually resistance to the royal family is a bit more of a rallying point for independence. Is that fair? Yeah, I think there's def a definite crossover between the pe people who support the independence movement. I think the, the monarchy is very much in their sights. Uh, I don't think anyone has had a real sensible debate about how those two things could coexist. So if Wales was to become independent, what would the relationship with the royal family be? I don't think that debate has gone down a, very far down a road at all. But yeah, I think 
it's a bit of a generalization, but I think you can safely say that there will be a small number of people who support independence who also support the royal family. And I think the people who are who are independence minded are very much um not monarchy minded. And the Prince of Wales title particularly is a very, I don't know, probably even for people who aren't independent, you know, flag wavers in Wales, they feel uncomfortable about that title or don't actively don't like it. Why is it such a point of pain, I guess, or frustration for, for Wales? It goes back a very, very long time. So the, there was a Prince of Wales who uh, people in Wales are proud to call the Prince of Wales. He was called Llewellyn Ap Griffith. He was a 13th century ruler. Um, obviously, you know, going back to that time, there, there are loads of rulers of lots of different parts of of, the, of of Wales and of Britain as a whole. But Llewellyn was the person who used the title Prince of Wales and he used it as a way of um, kind of asserting his authority over all those other rulers. And I think it was recognised and it has been recognised ever since. But Edward I... Uh, when he came along um, and he uh, built his uh, his ring of steel castles around Wales, um, you know, very much like trod down on, on Welsh people. And he then um, he then put his son in place as his Prince of Wales, the new Prince of Wales, I guess. Um, that was very much a symbol of England now owns and rules Wales. And this is the Prince of Wales and the Prince of Wales in that format. That is how it has stayed ever since. So a hereditary title going back to Edward I and Edward II. Um, and for many people in Wales, you know, that's still what it represents. It is a symbol of oppression. It is a symbol of a of a larger country. I'm just saying we own you, we run you. And it's not even our boss man who runs you. It's the underling. Who's the man in waiting? You know, Charles yeah. is king. Yeah. He's king of Scots, but it's William that's Prince of Wales. I don't know. It's kind of it's a weird, uh, a weird thing. And uh, you know, Charles was obviously became heir to the throne as soon as his mother became queen, but he didn't actually become Prince of Wales until he was nine, and then had the investiture investiture aged twenty. Whereas William was made Prince of Wales in sort of Charles's you know very early speech uh, after becoming king. Um, and Kate obviously also became Princess of Wales, which was a, a title that Camilla never had had for other um, political and diplomatic reasons. Obviously, following the the death of Princess Diana and um, Charles's divorce from her prior to that. Um, so, yeah, was there? I don't know. Was there any surprise that it was done quite so immediately, or was it always sort of that was what was expected and the frustration just came anyway. Yeah, there's a lot going on there, isn't there? So I don't think it was a surprise. Um, it, it has always been the heir to the throne, who is the Prince of Wales. Um, when Charles, um, Charles's investiture was extremely grand, um, you know, really old-fashioned man on his knees, pledging allegiance to, to his mum, the Queen, loads of pomp and ceremony in a literal castle, uh, wearing crowns and robes and holding big orbs and everything else. You know, it, it couldn't have been much kind of grander and, and a symbol of, you know, what, what and maybe an outdated view of the monarchy is. Although, I mean, if you watch the King's Coronation, then it, it was exactly the same, not outdated at all. Um, but then, like, if you look at William and Kate, and William is, I think I read something um 
probably around the time I think his approval ratings in you know in the general population in Britain are something like eighty percent. He's he has the highest approval rating of any royal. So, you know, the royal family, the PR machine may well have seen that as a a, a good move to do quickly because they know or they they could guess that it would be well received. And speak, speaking as as someone who was running the website at that time and, and running all our um, social media channels or seeing them at least. You know, when we posted about William and Kate, those posts were like really positively received. You know, it, you you gauge interaction rate of all your Facebook posts and all your tweets and things like that. And you know, the, some of those Facebook posts were up in the tens of thousands of of positive reactions. Dif- very different on Twitter, actually. Twitter is much more political, much stronger Welsh nationalist movement on there, Welsh independence movement on there, and just you know. Lots of people are more vocal on Twitter because that, that's the place they, they do that kind of stuff. So it wasn't positively received there. So, yeah, I don't think they needed, I don't think they would have felt that they needed to, to hold off really um, because they were, they were, they were putting someone in place who they, who they felt was, um, you know, was going to be well received by a, a majority probably, but there's still a very large minority that, wouldn't have received it well and didn't receive it well, but like no matter who it was. Yeah, I think it was a petition hit about 40,000 or something to, to get rid of the title altogether. But I think probably a smart move from William to say, we don't need to have any of this investiture stuff for this. Just get on well, with it. Well, yeah, I, I don't know if it was smart. It was smart, but I don't know if that's the reason or if because they just thought, I mean, like we were speaking about with Charles, it's just so so outdated so symbolic of of wealth and a, you know a, a different time and everything else and they pro i think it would probably be fair to say that in a lot of ways william and kate do represent a slightly more modern monarchy i mean personally speaking i don't really see how the whole concept of monarchy can be described as modern in any way but um you know on that scale they would definitely be at, towards the top end of it. So maybe just thought, I just, I just don't want to, don't want to do any of this, and it would be a wise move to not do it. I think there's also that thing, you know, when Charles was nine when he became Prince of Wales, you know, he was younger again when his mum had become queen. So there'd been quite a big gap between the coronation and then his investiture, and probably yeah. there'd been no real sort of royal weddings in between because. The, children were younger whereas actually I mean I'm a little bit pumped out to be honest with you that we've had quite a lot of you know jubilees and coronations and obviously the the, the very important and grand spectacle that was the, the queen's funeral you know even the coronation felt a bit like oh this is very grand but you know the queen's funeral that was a big doozy wasn't it and this we're here we're here again and so you know maybe there's not so much need from that point of view either um Dan repeatedly reminds me, as much as I get excited about sport, this is not a sporting podcast, but I think rugby is its not just a sport in Wales, really. It's basically a religion. And you had for so long, Kate was there, you know, alongside William, supporting the Welsh team. And now she's had to switch sides. She's got to support the English. How does that? And she's the Princess of Wales. And obviously this is a path that has been slightly trodden before by, um, by Diana. That all got a bit controversial with England as well. But how 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 does that all fit in? Okay, well, first of all, you going back a few years you'd be probably been right to describe rugby as religion but foot Welsh football fans would have an awful lot to say about that now the Welsh football movement is um is huge now compared to what it was um pre kind of 2015 2016 type 
um, times. And interestingly enough, like those two groups of people, like pe people who back independence, people who again would be would not have favourable feelings towards the monarchy, that ties in really strongly with the Welsh football crowd. Um, you know that those those again those groups of people overlap a lot in a way that they probably don't with rugby fans and rugby crowds in Wales, which is really interesting, actually. Um, um, but yeah, I find the whole, like, who does William support, who does Harry support, they don't support either of them, do they? They're just, they're just there because they, they need to be there because they're figureheads. Um, they don't support their national uh, or a national side, or uh, not, not Wales anyway, in the way that I do or in the way that lots of other Welsh people do. Um, yeah, I think I'll go out on a limb and, and say that. It, I can be depressed for a very long time after a, after a defeat in, in rugby or football for the national team. I, they probably don't feel the same way. No, probably quite. Not quite so much. I imagine George might sometimes get a strop on when his team uh, when his team does it win, but you're allowed, definitely allowed to do that. Probably, I mean, to be fair, you're allowed to do that when you're as old as you are as well, Steph, because sport yeah. is a good thing to care about. Um, how do you see how do you see William and Kate's role as Prince and Princess of Wales? What, what would you like them? What would you like them to do for Wales? That's a really good question. Um, there's a definite question to ask back to that, which is what what can they do? Um, like realistically, what? How are they going to um, make Wales a, a bigger name on the world stage? How are they going to change the, you know, the real problems that Wales has got with poverty, inequality? Like if you you know, Wales performs really badly on those sort of scales on on a UK wide level um poverty is a problem here um in things like inequality in different areas i mean it's the case all over britain i know but they're real issues in wales they're probably the things that would be at the top of any list that that people would want to sort out that a politician would want to sort out but no one's managed to to do it yet i mean there's barely a dent has been made in it for the nearly 20 years i've been a journalist and, and looking at, at that kind of issue um, so I just don't know if I've got a sensible answer to that question. Really, I think I think that they they've visited a lot in the sh in the short time that they've been Prince and Princess of Wales. They seem to have been really well received um, in the places they've been. Um, as I say, they 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 get a lot of really positive feedback on on our social media channels. Um, so you know, beyond the kind of you know, superficial making groups of people happy, showing a wider audience that they're that they're willing to put in the time and effort to uh, to to the the country that they've just been named prince and princess of. You know, great carry on doing that. I think they're doing a good job of that particular thing. Whether it achieves anything more meaningful than that, though, I'd you know I'd have real doubts about that. And that goes for you know that goes for anyone who would be in their position, not not them specifically. It'll be interesting to see what they bring to it. Steph, thanks so much for joining us today and giving us a bit of a perspective on, um, well, William and Kate in particular and uh, what they, how Wales sees it all. Thanks very much. Great, you're very welcome. Thanks for asking. So I'm delighted to welcome back to the show I, I, it's not fair to call you an old colleague, Jilly Beattie, but you and I worked together back when I was a very green trainee in the early 2000s. Let's yeah, put it that I, way. We, we could maybe say older these days. Yes, I've been with 
the company nearly 29 years now. So, yeah. We're both old times. I think Charles and Camilla were barely probably married when we uh, when we first met. So there we go. That's how long it has been. Well, it's been a long time since they've been married as well. Anyway, it's not about that. Um, long time listeners may remember we spoke to Jilly during those days of the pandemic back back a while to talk about um, Ireland's relationship with the royal family and you know the sort of affection actually that had there was for the Queen, despite you know obviously the very difficult history between Ireland, Northern Ireland and England, let's say. Um, and I thought it would be really interesting to hear from Jilly once again, now that Charles is on the throne, to hear that how that transition has sort of gone over in Northern Ireland and what the what the mood is there in this new era. So Jilly, how's how's it been? How's it gone? What's your assessment of the first early days of King Charles III from a Northern Irish perspective? Well, I suppose if we take a French term, it's plus a change. You know, it's really Northern Ireland um, and Ireland have always been quite different about how they, they look at the royal family. So if you take Northern Ireland as a whole, and there are six counties in Northern Ireland, um, some of those counties would be very keen on, you know, the royals in that some of the people within each county would be more more keen on, on sort of would be more royalist. Within those same counties, you've got people who are very anti-royalist. So there's a real, there's a really tender way of walking through all of this. Um and uh, in families, in neighborhoods, in in you know, you go to your local um shop, your local grocery shop, you've got a whole melee of people there. Um and they'll they'll all have different views on this. Some people will come from it. Uh, come to it from the financial point of view that they'll say oh it's a waste of money some people will very proudly say we do it best some people will will say i couldn't care less different generations will have a view on it but at the heart of this remains queen elizabeth ii uh because we're still talking about her you know when did she die 26 22nd of September? september yeah just 22nd of september last year and I think there was a feeling, it was a kind of a frisson when when King Charles was coming to Northern Ireland. When when the Queen took her final breath and he took his next breath after that moment and became king, um, that transition, obviously he had been building up to that for many, many years. I don't think anybody here or anybody anywhere really ever believed the Queen would die. I didn't, I, you know, there was something about her that was just, she was just part of the DNA. And even people who are not royalists would admit, well, she's always been there, whether they liked her or didn't like her. She was, I mean, who, who's who's alive today that remembers being alive when the Queen wasn't here? So those, those boots are really big boots to fill. Um, and here in Northern Ireland, um, we have a there are those who there are those who will not support the royals. There are those who don't care about the royals, but there are those who um, don't mind either way. But they will support. But they always supported the queen. And the older she got, and the more dignified things seemed to appear, um, the, the, the closer people felt to her. I think people felt felt more forgiving of things that they didn't like previously because well, she's an old lady and this, that, and the other. With Charles, is a different matter. Charles has always been seen as more remote. He um, There's this thing hanging over him of the situation with um, Princess Diana. I mean, we have long memories in Northern Ireland. Uh, I mean, they say, you know, you're coming, you fly in from, from uh, G 
GB and they say, you know, we're flying into Belfast, you can set your clocks back 300 years because our memories, our memories are long and our, our hurt is deep for many, many reasons. And on all sides hurt for many reasons. Um, Charles is a different matter. We don't have the romanticism about him. We don't have the the deep foundations that we felt we had with, the, with Queen Elizabeth. Um, I think there's an element that people have never forgiven the Diana situation. Um, I think uh, Camilla, you know, the, the fondness for her is, is not really um, as deep as it maybe could be. Where she's winning is um, in Northern Ireland, we have a massive dog fraternity. People, I mean, we have masses of people who love dogs and have dogs here. And she's known as a real dog fan. And she's rescued a couple of dogs from Battersea, um, two little terriers. That's where she seems she seems to get to people through um, the minutiae of her life. So through things that mean, mean to her, things that mean much to her, such as her dogs or horses, um, dealing with people on a very personal level with less of the um, the kind of, um, sh there's no showmanship with her. She, she is what you, you see. She is what, you, what she gives you exactly what she wants to give you. And on any day, it seems to be pretty much the same thing. Um, so there's a slight fondness for her kind of maybe building slightly. Um, Charles is a bit, Charles has quite a bit to go, I think. But there's still a core of absolute loyalty to because he's the king. It wouldn't matter if he was, uh, you know, if he was uh, a painted toadstool and he was the king. Um, there's a there's a there's an absolute core of absolute loyalty to the royal family in some areas. And there's graffiti all over the place in Belfast. There's graffiti, you know, down the Ard Peninsula. You know, we can see where where I'm sitting now is just 12 miles from Scotland. Um, you know, we can nearly see to, to their Scottish baronies. We can nearly see to there. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's an Italian restaurant down in a place called Bally Walter down here. And it's run by an Italian family. And they have this massive, massive um, cutout poster in the window, um, cardboard cutout of Prince Charles in a kilt waving at everybody. And... I have no idea why it's there, but people like it. And if you need to find Firebox in Valley Walter, you say that's the shop with Prince Charles in the window. You know, there's just there's just these strange things. But it's really it's nice. You know, I mean, I think he feel, people feel a little bit softer towards him than they used to. And I think when you mentioned graffiti, it's it's more sort of street art and murals and uh, I don't know expression of emotion through art on art on walls. Obviously, that be very political during the troubles and much of it is still political but there's another sort of dimension that has come into it as well that not everything now is political political some of it is I don't know I guess celebratory or society in general rather than just the the very divisive politics that has been so troubling well I, I can tell you some of the graffiti about Prince Charles wouldn't have been <laughs> would have been uh, it would have been treason would have been called on it but the, the, I saw some graffiti um, uh, in, in East Belfast very recently, and it says, and it's it said, and it's 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 written in the colloquial, so it's, it says Gossier the Queen, Gossier the King, and it's it's spelled G A W, save the King, and somebody has gone out with a spray can and felt a moment of absolute loyalty to to the King, and just decided to spray up a wall. This. And it's not God save the king. It's God, you know, it's, it's, it's written as they, they say it. 
Um, and I, I kind of passed it the other day, a few days ago. And I went back on a look to have a look at it again because I thought that there's something really emotional about that, that somebody obviously felt very much driven to go and, go and vandalise the place in honour of King Charles. Um, you know, I don't know who else would do that, but somebody did that. And it's it's sitting there, it's still pristine. Um, nobody's touched it. And the graffiti down there is now street art graffiti where they, it's very much a Protestant area then linking on to more loyal, a loyalist area, linking on to more... Um, nationalist republican area um separated by literally literally one foot path um so one side you've got union flags and the other side you've got irish flags and it's, it's a whole um it's a it's a whole soup of um of uh different types of backgrounds but in the middle of it all i kind of got this picture of this i don't know why i thought it was this old gent in a, in a flat cap just delighted that he's got a king because we haven't had a king for such a long time and um, I kind of got, where's he? He's gone. He's gone to BMQ or he's gone somewhere to get a spray can, and just got oh, I've got, got the other king, you know. I, mean, I thought he might have had a few pints down in the, in the 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 corner bar, and decided he was just going to pledge his his um his love for the the royals on the side of his house. Anyway, you, I'll get you a photograph of that, and you can have a look at that. Thank you, Jilly. And you mentioned obviously republicanism, and that's got a very different meaning really in Northern Ireland and Ireland compared to you know the rest of in Great Britain or even if we're talking about you know Canada or wherever wanting to become a republic um and essentially just lose lose the monarch as the head of state in Northern so in Northern Ireland if you've got unionists you've got so yeah republicanism can mean a very different thing in Northern Ireland compared to how what it might mean you know you've got the organization Republic in in England who want to down with the monarchy and let's have a president or some elected official as our head of state within the unionist community if you like in Northern Ireland if you want to be part of the union does that automatically mean you also want the monarchy you want the whole works or are there people who want to remain part of Great Britain but don't think that the king should be the head of state or queen as it was before yeah i would well listen okay so the, the republican movement comes from wanting to be part of wanting northern ireland to um be part of the republic of ireland so the republic of ireland um there are 32 counties in the whole of the island of ireland and six of them make up northern ireland there are 32 counties that make up the island of ireland and six of those were annexed to remain in the in in part of uh, UK, um, and those are those are six six um, counties. So you've got Londonderry, that's known very much more now as Derry. You've got Armagh, now kind of trying to remember these. You've got Tyrone, you've got um, Fermanagh, Antrim, and Down. And how I remember that it's uh, the 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 first letters are fat lad, and that's one of the first things you're you're taught in primary school is um, how you remember the six counties of Northern Ireland. Now, those would not be seen as unionist counties because some of those counties are very much on the border, and some of those counties um, are very much feeling more um, in tune with the Republic of Ireland. The Republic of Ireland is now more often calling it just South Ireland because it's a full country and it doesn't want this, you know, it's not just deciding, it's decided, you know, we're not, it is isn't. It is called the Republic of Ireland. But so republicanism here is about trying to ensure that the six counties in Northern Ireland um, are 
are given back to Ireland. So, and there has, obviously we've had, there's been from 1916, there's been a lot of, um, a lot of violence, there's been a lot of politi political movement and everything else. And then of course you had the IRA coming in uh, way, way back in the 1920s and then later on the 1960s and they've moved forward. But what you have, they, they move forward in, in, in violence. So um, what you have today is you have the Republican party of Sinn Féin who are um, moving very much politically now. So that where they, where they, I'm just looking, I made some notes here earlier. So the IRA engaged in a war to force the British state out of, you know, out of Northern Ireland to get Northern Ireland to um, sort of to unite with the Republic of Ireland. And Sinn Féin is doing the same thing, but by political means. So, so that's where the Republican sort of element comes from. And it means that, it doesn't mean that people who live in Northern Ireland in those six counties um, cannot be a unionist, but may not want to be part of anything to do with the royal family. They may just want to be something to remain within the UK and live alongside our, our, our brethren within GB in Scotland, England and Wales. Um, you know, it's the same as anywhere. We're, we're all different. In families, people are different. You sit around a dinner table and you'll have one set of friends, one set of family, one family will not agree with anything about you know, where the royals should be or where we should be with any of this. But interestingly, what Sinn Féin are doing at the minute, and they are the biggest sort of Republican um, party on the island of Ireland, is they're playing a very, very clever um, political game here. So, of course, Michelle O'Neill is the leader of um, Sinn Féin in Northern Ireland. And she attended the coronation of Prince Charles at his um, invitation. Now, I was going to ask you about that. How did that? Uh, how did that go down? How significant was it? <laughs> I think everybody was gobsmacked. We were gobsmacked. I can tell you, I was. I kind of stopped in my tracks. I thought, right, well, this is going to be interesting. How is she going to answer this invitation? Because how do you say no and how do you say yes? But of course, she's much more. Uh, advanced politically than I ever ever could ever dream of being. So of course she wrote back and said, thank you very much. I'd be delighted to attend. And there she went off to the coronation. Um, the only thing I had said to me was, well, she didn't wear a hat. She didn't wear a hat. And I thought, well, you know, I've never seen Michelle O'Neill wear a hat. But she said that this was, we were in changing times and it was time to move forward. It was time to, and I think I put little, I made a little quote here earlier. She said, um, it's a signal basically to, um, to voters within the Republic of Ireland. Let's put it this way, maybe something you don't know. Sinn Féin has their party in Northern Ireland and she's the leader of the party, Sinn Féin party in Northern Ireland. Sinn Féin has a party in the Republic of Ireland, which is led by Mary Lou Macdonald. She's the leader of the, and, and, Sinn Féin has an overarching body then for the whole of the island. So these messages are really intelligent. These messages are really intelligent to their, their voters. Sinn Féin has struggled within the Republic of Ireland um, and their reach out to the royal family and to the coronation and, and the sympathy over the Queen's death and subsequent funeral um, was really, really important. Nearly more important to them than to any other part, party in the UK or Ireland, because that was them showing themselves on the world stage as um, 
as intelligent, compassionate, forward-thinking, politically-minded, um, ordinary human beings, and not this political drive that they have just to have an All-Ireland at any cost. So there was a message, the, the, the response of yes to Prince Charles's invitation was yes, and that was a that was a message to the to the Sinn Féin voters in the Republic. We can we can act responsibly and unprofessionally and maturely on the world stage, and to unionism in Northern Ireland, to to the unionists in Northern Ireland, it said we understand um, that you've had a loss here, um, and we sympathise with you. And as a leader of a party, I've been asked to attend, and out of respect, I will be attending. But it's such a fine line. I would hate to be, well, I would love to be in those meetings. But I thought, God, she, there, he's not going to get a response to this for ages because how are they going to get, how are they going to tick all these boxes? But they knew exactly what they were going to do. They knew exactly what they were going to do. It's probably a bit quicker to reply than Harry in the end. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> and less convoluted, I would imagine. Less, you know? less, yeah, somehow simpler. Who'd have thought it? Um, exactly. And so Charles has made a couple of visits over to Northern Ireland with, Camilla already mm -hmm. sort of once in the aftermath of immediate aftermath of the Queen's death to again sort of share that morning see the flowers um take I guess the well wishes and sympathies of of people and then I would imagine there was probably also some like formal you know ex accession business to deal with possibly there was all well. that accession yeah there was all the accession business to deal with so he stayed at um Hillsborough Castle which was the one of the Queen's favourite places to stay so it's a it's a two-story castle in Hillsborough in Royal Hillsborough County down place of great pride with the royals and it, it, it has those beautiful gardens um and they stayed there and then I mean that was such a whirlwind spin around the UK I, I mean I just don't know how anybody who's lost somebody so close to them can just think right now I, mean, I know they don't pack their own bags but I've got to get my, my, my pants packed and I need to poof off to Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland has been the last thing in my mind. Um, but anyway, you know, as Judy calls, so 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 Charles Charles appeared here. And then of course you saw the um uh you, you saw how things unfolded with him there and you know you saw the incident with the pen and the fact that he couldn't he he was having difficulty um his pen wasn't working when he was signing a, a document up at Hillsborough Castle and he was very upset about that um people forgave him over that um and then they went to St Anne's Cathedral for a service which is a, an interdenominational church basically in the center of Belfast but when they came back for their second visit following Queen Elizabeth's death um they planted a magnolia tree um at Hillsborough Castle in the grounds. And the Queen had done that on her coronation in 1953. So there's that continuity that they're trying to keep going. Um, and, you know, probably only royalists would know about the magnolia tree, but Hillsborough is, oh, it's a public, it's a public place now. It's, it's under the palace's remit. So it's open to anybody to go in and you can have your tour around. And, and the history is absolutely astonishing. Beautiful building, beautiful gardens. Highly so recommend it. Yeah, have you got, been? So I got my husband Historic Royal Palaces membership one year. And um, so mainly it's all, you know, things in and around London. We, we thought, all right, we've got membership for the year. We've been looking for an excuse to go to Belfast. Let's go to Hillsborough Castle. I'm very glad we did. We had a lovely time in Belfast. We had a great visit to um, Hillsborough Castle as well. So, yes, 
thoroughly 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 recommend it yeah so how how was their visit after the coronation was there i mean there was some excellent cake work and it all looked sunny and jolly but that's obviously sort of the pictures that you see what was what was really going on really what's going on is he came here to for a for a hug and he really got he he got an emotional support he got emotional support here um and you could feel it you could feel it people felt so sad for him people felt the poor fella should be at home you know they 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 were like what is he coming here for this is terrible but we wanted him here you know they just felt people that I spoke to were just so um they felt it's inappropriate that you'd have to get up get your slippers off get your boots on and get out the door to come over to Northern Ireland or go anywhere after you've just suffered the death of your mum um, and at such an advanced age, and obviously they were quite close, and with all the things that were happening, but of course, we—that's dealing with him as a as a regular human being, and not not a prince becoming a king in that one breath. Um, but the sympathy was there. The sympathy really was there for him, and I think there was a little bit more um, warming towards Camilla, in in that moment as well, because she was by his side, and people tend to be well. She's here. She's fine. That's great. And she's supporting him and he needs support. Um, there's a different type of warmth about King Charles than there was about the Queen. It's just different. It's very, very hard to explain. Um, but I think once again, a bit like his wife, one on one, he's a fascinating character and a really intelligent chap. But he's just not really socially as as, as easy as she would have been. Um and, and then there, there, are, there are lots of different things, political things that would have, you know, things that have been here. But as you say, about the Republicanism, Republicanism that would have gone on, nationalism that would have gone on. But people are, are warming to him. Um, I think it's just hard to get used to. I, I really do. It's very I, different. Yeah. You sort um, of felt the Queen was yours. You know, you sort of felt, no matter who you are, the Queen... You just felt you knew her. She'd just been there forever. And, and and there was, you know, the publicity around Charles and the difficulties around Charles and all the negative stuff around Charles. It, it just didn't help him greatly. But he's working his way through that. And he's done some amazing stuff that's now we're now beginning to hear more about. Um, Northern Ireland was one of the first places he visited after the, the grand coronation and the celebration and um, coming over to Northern Ireland. So was there a different feeling about that visit, that it was more, you know, this is the new era, the, so kind of the morning is done, now we're into the beginning of his time? Um, I don't think so. Really? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's kind of we're doing this, you're kind of we're doing it for the Queen because this is what she'd expect. And and he's doing a jolly good job. And we're going to help him as far as we can help him. Um, and, and really, you know, that's that's as much as I can say. I mean, royal visits here are massive. People, the royal visits are anywhere are massive. But I I know there's always this kind of freestyle when you get the email in saying there's going to be a, a VIP coming to Northern Ireland. Then you have to phone your contacts and see who it is. And then it's kind of there's a grading system as to who you're excited about. And it used to be if the Queen was coming. It was like well, all all stops were pulled out, and when Prince Charles was coming, well, that's interesting. And if Camilla was there, even more interesting. Uh, now that he's here as the king, he's gone up that step. He's kind of taken that step up, but there's a still a different feeling. It's still 
he's I think he still has to just get into that comfort zone um in the Northern Ireland. He will have great support here and he does have great support here. Um the warmth is something that's gonna to have to grow. Well, it'll be interesting to see how it evolves. Jilly, thank you so much for bringing your perspective and really lovely to catch up with you again. You're welcome.